Hello my friends and welcome back to the latest Meerkat Musings podcast. I am your host Darth Timon aka Ben and I apologise in advance if I sound a bit tired and if I sound a bit nasal it's well it could be one of two reasons. Number one I have a little bit of a cold which I started to come down with on Thursday Number two, uh, on Thursday, well, sorry, I started coming down with a cold Wednesday nights, and then Thursday morning, I had the first dose of my COVID vaccine. Uh, I've received the uh, the Pfizer vaccine, and I'm not sure if my weariness is because of the cold that I've been coming down with, or because of the vaccine. Or because of some combination of the two. The only obvious symptom, if you like, of the vaccine is that I have a sore spot on my arm where I have received the jab. Uh, Beyond that, anything else could just be attributed to a cold. So, generally speaking, I feel alright. Just, as I say, I feel a bit tired, a bit nasal, uh, as one does when you have a cold. And whether any other effects from the vaccine manifest themselves. Well, I mean, I guess we'll know over the course of the next few days whether that's the case. But I'm glad to have had it done. I'm now halfway there, uh, of course. There's still some way to go. I still need my second jab at some point. As a nation, there's still some way to go, uh, although, to give the NHS credit, they have been rolling out this vaccine uh, very, very efficiently. The whole process of the vaccine was, in fact, very, very smoothly done. It was just like a well oiled machine. But then again, it has to be. And also, the people that are doing this have had a lot of practice uh, in doing this. So it makes sense that they can do a good job. And my thanks to to the NHS and to the staff at the vaccine centres who are doing an amazing job uh, of rolling out these vaccines. My wife actually received her second dose of her vaccine today. She had the Oxford one, uh, whereas I had the Pfizer one. So there's probably no comparison to be made because everyone reacts differently to any vaccine they get. So uh, it's pointless to be comparing notes, as it were. But Nonetheless, I'm slightly curious to see how hers affects hers and how mine affects me. She had a headache the first time around, but they could be attributed to other things, so who knows. So generally speaking, as I say, I feel okay. I, I slept a bit longer than usual uh, this morning. I was on a day off from work, which was good timing, really, because you never know how you're going to react to the vaccine. So having the day off work was was useful to put it mildly and it's back to normal at work tomorrow we'll see how how i feel uh, as i say generally speaking i feel fine apart from the cold which i'm i'm dealing with through through various sort of medications to try and shift uh, apart from that i'm generally okay but beyond uh, the world of vaccines well beyond the world of vaccines on a personal level i guess you might say the whole subject has led me to sort of look up and talk about the anti-vax phenomenon, which 
uh, in particular at the moment because the whole covid business has reared its ugly head once again now i don't tend to have a great deal of tolerance for anti-vaxxers uh, i tend to think that the mentality is a very ignorant one uh, in the wrong circumstances the mentality is actually quite a dangerous one if you encourage people not to get the vaccine uh, if you cast doubt on the effectiveness of vaccination as a as a practice then you are encouraging and endorsing the spread of disease as far as i'm concerned you might want to argue differently if you take an anti-vaxxer stance but that's how i see things you can you can insist you don't have to have it but ultimately look at the history vaccinations do work it's one of the reasons that smallpox uh, has been virtually eradicated it's one of the reasons why illnesses like tuberculosis uh, meningitis and so many other horrible illnesses do not kill or cripple people and that last point about crippling people is quite important it's all good for people to say i don't need a vaccine covid doesn't kill many people doesn't have to kill you to ruin your life there are people who even months several months after having the illness are still struggling to do day-to-day -day tasks they still end up just feeling shattered by the slightest physical activity the lingering effects of this are not something we truly understand as yet it's the same with other diseases smallpox didn't kill everyone who caught it not by a long shot but it didn't have to kill you as i say to to to, to really sort of ruin you it could leave people with uh sort of, uh, sort of brain illnesses it could leave people being blind it could do all kinds of things as can other diseases as well so it's not just about vaccinating to stop people from dying it's about vaccinating to stop people from suffering serious problems that will hamper their lives for the rest of their lives so there's an important reason to get vaccinated and an important reason to to not listen to the naysayers and the anti-vaxxers and the covid deniers of which unfortunately there are quite a few i have very little time and tolerance for these groups to put it mildly case in point there's been uh, one person that i I can't really say that I've argued with because they've shut down any attempt at having a discussion, uh, largely because of a different sort of subject. But there's uh, one person that I saw a post where they were saying they were doubting germ theory, doubting the existence of germs. Uh, when I wrote something to uh, sort of saying that they were denying the existence of, of sort of viruses and diseases, they kind of tried to suggest that i was attacking a false argument but there were arguments there in black and white so not quite sure what they were trying to do there uh, and well i just find them to be somewhat sort of dishonest in the way in which they've sort of quoted or rather not quoted me in in response but that's uh, something which i can link to for people to see and make up their own minds uh, i think is kind of the key thing to do with that beyond my dive into this sort of murky world of of sort of disease deniers and anti-vaxxers and all the rest of it not not a lot's gone on really i routinely post my meerkat muses on the website which i hope you follow and i hope you see just little kind of insights into what's been going on kind of every every couple of weeks 
in my little corner of the world and my little corner of the web really a lot of things have been quite samey as I think they have been for a lot of people what with the current situation there isn't really a lot that sort of changes from one week to the next the big difference was that uh, that in April we were able to go back to work or I was able to go back to work I was actually at work anyway but we weren't allowed to let in customers so we had this shift from this very slow very kind of long day boring routine to a scenario and a situation which was far more normal Uh, there were still things of course which aren't normal about it like having to wear masks all the time but generally speaking we've had a return to certainly in my line of work something resembling a little bit more of a normal life which is great and slowly but surely we're reopening the country again as more and more people get vaccinated uh, we can start to relax some of the rules there are some things which remain as ever to me strange and baffling there are a number of flights still coming in from uh, India even though India is having a huge crisis with COVID-19 even though there's a variant associated with India we're still letting flights come into this country on a regular basis and the Indian variant is at this point known to spread more quickly why are we still letting flights in it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in normal circumstances I wouldn't care if we had flights coming in from India Uh, as far as I'm concerned that's fine but in in a pandemic scenario and it goes for any country really why are we letting flights land from locations where new strains of covid are known to be rife uh, and where they um, even if it wasn't new strains if we know cases are rife in these countries why are we not closing our borders to them it's just a very strange kind of weird i don't know double standard on the part of the tories I mean, it doesn't surprise me the tories have been next to useless throughout this entire sort of pandemic situation and and now when i mean ironically enough one of the things about brexit was about controlling our borders and now the tories have control of the borders or perhaps feel like they do they're not doing anything to close the border in the event of a pandemic they were very slow to actually do that the first time around there were still flights coming in from all around the world uh, sort of during the last lockdown and the whole kind of process of quarantining people after they landed was poorly managed uh, if it was even implemented at all in some places and so it doesn't surprise me that once again the Tories have failed to do something that they said they would do and that they're failing to kind of control this situation it's not just the Tories of course as a, as a public as a nation we have a duty of care to stop and think just because the rules have been relaxed doesn't suddenly mean we all go absolutely crazy and wild we can't suddenly throw away our masks we can't suddenly start mixing in large groups again uh, even though some people do try to do that pubs and bars and clubs have to be careful and the people that want to go to these places have to be careful this isn't over and it's not going to be over until everyone who's eligible to receive a vaccine has received one and even after that 
it won't be over. We would need for some months afterwards to still think about maintaining social distancing measures, hygiene measures, masks, all kinds of things like that. And, you know, realistically, things like the uh, the hygiene measures, the, the hand sanitizer and that kind of thing, if that was standard going forward in every shop and venue, that would be absolutely fantastic. Whether it will be or not, who knows? But unfortunately, I mean, one of the things that I think this vaccine... Uh, this this virus has exposed is that a lot of people beforehand didn't practice basic hygiene. I mean, washing your hands is not a challenging task. You go to the toilet, when you come out of there, you wash your hands with soap and water. It's not difficult. And yet there seems to be a lot of people that didn't bother doing even something as basic and as simple as that. And I just don't understand that thought process. I really don't. If we maintained basic hygiene more as a country, no doubt it would be very, very useful. And you know what? If we did maintain a degree of social distancing, that could make a difference as well. It's no coincidence that as we've engaged in, in these processes, the distancing, the masks, the hygiene, cases of things like colds and flu have fallen. Because, well, if you're distant from people, it's harder for those viruses and those illnesses to spread. So the, the evidence is out there that these measures work. And it's not just about controlling the spread of things like COVID. They can work for other illnesses as well. And if we just, as a country, had the common sense and the mindset to actually, you know, do these things on a regular basis... Even even beyond the end of this pandemic, think of what it could actually mean for overall sort of public health. Think of how it would be sort of during the winter when cases of things like sort of colds and flu typically sort of spike. We could bring those down considerably, and it would save lives. Much as the measures have saved lives during the pandemic, uh, we could actually do more in general terms as well and some of it as i say is on the government's head i've made no secret of my contempt for how the tories have handled this pandemic uh, they've been at times beyond useless and continuing to let flights in from countries where the disease is rife just continues to sort of go to show how useless they are i'd love to know what the thought process is behind those decisions but who knows what goes through the mind of someone like Boris Johnson. I don't know that there's necessarily a lot between the ears in in his case. And what is there is not tailored to the real world. Much like most, I think, sort of Tory government ministers, they've never lived in the real world. They've never experienced what it's like for the average person. And they don't care, quite frankly, either. I don't believe that they care. I think that's part of the problem. They are detached from reality. They have their own little kind of world of of rich Etonian toffs. And they don't understand what actually goes on on the ground. Nor do they have any desire to understand. They regard us as being beneath them. I genuinely think that's what the likes of, sort of Boris Johnson and Rhys Mogg and all the other sort of top Tories think that's how they approach life. Uh, 
we are serfs to them we are peons we don't matter I, I don't believe that the the leadership of the Tory party thinks people matter apart from perhaps their rich mates or their friends that can bung the money in order to get contracts which of course has been a big part of all of this uh, you know they've gotten richer they've made sure their mates get richer MPs have given themselves a huge pay rise while denying nurses a pay rise of any sort of meaning and it's all because they live in, 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 don't live in the real world and it's not just the Tory MPs who voted for pay rise of course uh, that's also on the other parties as well but overall you know, it's the Tories who've said there's no money for a nurse's pay rise. Then why is there money for a huge MP pay rise? Why is there money for... Just to give you an idea, uh, if, if you were to look it up on Google, it wouldn't take very long to find out. But the Tories want to spend huge eye-watering sums of money on nuclear weapons. We don't need nuclear weapons. We, if anything, we need to get rid of them. Uh, but the Tories want to make more of them. Or they want to adjust nuclear arsenal somehow to the tune of billions but they can't find the money to help nurses out with a real pay rise there's no money apparently to fund school meals or to tackle things like poverty but we've got loads of money to spend on nukes how does that work uh, just another example of how utterly utterly thoroughly detached from the real world uh, the Tory party is as far as I'm concerned. But I've kind of digressed massively there. I didn't intend for this to be a political rant, although it's one of those things which does really annoy me. Uh, the evidence is out there. It's not always easy to get hold of, but all the evidence, all the examples are out there of how utterly useless our government is. And yet, for some bizarre, strange reason, in the local elections, we thought it would be a good idea to give this party more power, which is insane absolutely insane as a country we have one of the worst death rates in the world from covid19 despite being a first world country and that's all on how the pandemic's been handled that's all on our leadership or certainly the vast majority of that is on our leadership and they've gotten away with it and there's, there's a number of reasons for that which i won't bore you with now but suffice to say the, the, the tories are not being held to account for their failures and their incompetence they're not being placed under the right kind of scrutiny to do that. Anyway, so that's... I've rambled on far too long about politics. Let's ramble about something else. Uh, what else has been going on? I've been following football on and off this season, following Liverpool's kind of disastrous mid-season crash, so we say, where we lost something like six consecutive home games our worst kind of record in, in uh, league football, I think, ever, actually. I must admit, it took some of the uh, fight out of me as far as football is concerned. But we have a chance to to grab Champions League football right at the death. And I think we will. I feel gutted for Leicester City because they, like last season, occupied Champions League territory for so long uh, and then, unfortunately, right at the end, things haven't quite gone their way. Although they did win the FA Cup, I watched that game, and I felt like Leicester fully deserved to win the FA Cup as well. So they will finish the season with some silverware. It's a trophy they've never actually won before, and whatever happens, they can be very proud of what they've done. But 
I can't be sentimental about this. I need Liverpool to be in the Champions League next season and to kick on from there and have a good season next season. Uh, and we will improve. I, I can't. I can't see that we won't improve, and we have to improve. I mean, last season was 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 awful. Uh, but well, sorry, this season has has been awful at times. But who knows how things will go with football next season? I mean, the big story about football that kind of overshadowed on-pitch stuff, really, was the whole uh, abandoned European Super League plan, of which Liverpool were a part, along with a number of other Premier League clubs as well, which really kind of caused a stir and shook things up. And I do understand the, the anger presented by the likes of Jamie Carragher and Phil, uh, and Gary Neville. Uh, for them... Their, their clubs, Liverpool and Manchester United respectively, have been their whole lives. And they're absolutely right to mention that greed, and it's all about greed, has played a sort of negative role in, in the modern game. And this, you know, how this Super League plan was motivated entirely by, by money and greed and, and corporate lust, if you like. But the ironic thing is, both uh, sort of Neville and Carragher work for Sky Sports, who have over the years spent eye-watering sums of money to to be more or less an exclusive broadcaster of Premier League football. Over the years, other broadcasters have sort of muscled in again by spending huge sums of money to have the rights to. But you know, to complain about greed in football whilst working for a, a channel and for a company that denies most people the chance to actually watch matches because of spending money, there's a bit of hypocrisy there, you know, and that needs to be acknowledged. The average person or in this country, if you want to watch football matches in England, you've got to fork out, you've either got to fork out for Sky TV and then pay extra for Sky Sports, or you've got to fork out for BT Sport, or you've got to fork out for an Amazon Prime account. Now, okay, we're not necessarily, not necessarily talking huge sums of money here, but bearing in mind that these games are now kind of broken up between different stations. If you want to watch every possible live game, you'd need to subscribe to all three services. If you want to watch Champions League football, which used to be free to air on ITV, you now have to subscribe to BT Sport. So you can't even watch Champions League on Sky anymore. Sky used to have Champions League football as well as uh, Premier League football, and then that changed. So you're always playing catch-up. You're always having to spend more money. And you know, the clubs and, and the various sort of football associations were part of this. So when you get complaints from from former players of these clubs... Their complaints are valid, don't get me wrong. And I think the actions of these clubs that tried to sort of break away need to be looked into. But there is an element of hypocrisy there. You're, you're working for a channel and for a station, which is part of the problem in many respects. And I just wonder if that irony is appreciated by, by the likes of Gary Neville and the likes of Jamie Carragher. Do they realise who they work for, I guess, to a certain degree? That being by and by, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal, they all very much shot themselves in the foot because 
there was no motivation beyond uh, elitism and exclusivity and greed for creating this European Super League. It would have formed uh, a cabal, if you like, and it would have made it impossible for other clubs to compete financially against them. So in terms of domestic leads, um, you know, if you're a smaller club in the Premier League, it's already hard to kind of match the spending of these big clubs. And it would have been impossible through, through the formation of this Super League. At the moment, only three clubs remain signed up to it. All the Premier League clubs withdrew following huge public pressure uh, to, to leave it. And then I think some of the other clubs left as well. So I think what's left is uh, three of the 12 clubs to originally sign up are still talking about it. Uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona in particular. Uh, I want to say Juventus are the other one involved. I'm not sure. But certainly from the point of view of teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're invested in this because they're actually desperate. Some of these clubs operate, and some of the Premier League clubs as well, they're actually operating with huge debts in mind. Um, Man United are, are thought to be greatly sort of in debt, as it were. Liverpool are in debt to a degree. A lot of the Premier League clubs are. A lot of the big Spanish clubs are. And the pandemic has not helped them. So now they're trying to recoup money as much as possible. But they've got about it in a way which would alienate huge portions of the fan base. And therefore, quite rightly, they've uh, the fan base has rebelled quite spectacularly, and it's going to leave a sour taste in in the back of sort of people's minds for a long, long time to come. Anyway, that's kind of it for now. I've been on for a lot longer than usual about various things. As a summary, uh, get vaccinated. If you can, if you can safely be vaccinated, please do forget the naysayers, forget the conspiracy theorists. They, oddly enough, never present any valid information. Uh, in fact, I mean, one way of looking at it, and this is actually what, this is what I said to someone, uh, and what I heard someone else sort of mention as well, standard of evidence for conspiracy theorists is that you know proof of their conspiracy is always... It's always very low standards of evidence. Proof that the standard convention, if you like, is valid always requires extremely high standards of evidence. And that just sort of highlights the hypocrisy at work there. I mean, why is that? Why is that? Why are the why is the standard of proof required to prove that vaccines are bad so incredibly small? And the evidence required to prove that they're good is incredibly high. Interesting sort of double standard on the part of the anti-vaxxers there. And I hope that people can sort of see through their deception and their uh, sort of sp uh, pseudoscience and their lies and arrive at logic and reason-based conclusions rather than hysteria. So as I say, if you can be vaccinated, uh, when your time comes, please get the COVID jab. You'll be helping to save lives. You'll be protecting yourself, your loved ones, uh, and everyone else around you if you do. To all of you, I say take care. And I look forward at some point to doing another podcast muse soon.